uh, worship the Lord this morning and open up his word. Um, we're going to be looking at the last section of 1 Corinthians 15. As Paul has dealt with the resurrection from the dead, we've been building up to this point. And my question for you as we, as we look at this text this morning, as you consider your life, um, as you consider your life and go forward with the slide there, if you can rock me forward there, it's not, there we go. All right, will you face the end of life with fear or faith? You know, as you contemplate your life, if you, as you contemplate the end, are you going to have fear or faith? Do you think about death much? Uh, I was looking at YouTube interviews of people, how often they think of death. There's a lot online about people who think about death. The, uh, the fear of death is thanatophobia. Thanatophobia. Thanatos is the Greek word for death, so a fear of death. Uh, quite frankly, people are afraid of death. Uh, some people would say the ones who are probably more secular humanistic, who believe that we're just a bunch of atoms, you know, with you know, tissue, cells, tissues, nervous impulses, you know, that when that last nervous impulse goes away, that there is nothing, right? Uh, then, well, I just cease to exist, so what's, what's there to fear? But here's the fact of the matter. Most people, you know, they may say... On a, from a cerebral standpoint, like, you know, intellectually, you know, it's just over when you die. There's this part of them that's like, ah, you know, and that's because God's wired them with this understanding of eternity. So there is this, this fear of death, and there's lots of quotes about death, right? This is Robert uh, Browning. He's a, he's a poet. He says, in my advice, you want to shun death, right? You want to, you, you, you have nothing to do with me, death. Another well, another poet, he's a, he's a Greek, right? He says, I cannot escape death, but at least I can escape the fear of that. I wonder if that's true, if he really, really believes that. One of my favorite death quotes is Woody Allen, the great comedian, younger generation. You guys won't know Woody Allen. You want to watch a funny movie, look at Sleeper. It's hilarious. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens, right? So it's like, you know, I'm not I'm not so afraid of death. I'm just kind of afraid of like the pain that might be associated with death. I just I don't want to be there when it happens. But God's word is true. And, and Sam preached through this in Hebrews. I'm just giving you part of the passage to address the issue. He's talking about Jesus Christ taking on a human nature. He says, since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and blood, and he did so because we are held in slavery by fear of death. I mean, think about how much effort is put into prolonging your life on this earth. I want to extend my life and the quality of my life for as long as I can because I don't want to die. Freeze me, whatever you have to do, just keep me alive. Right? And that's, that issue's been around forever. Right? Consider the pharaohs back in Egypt. They were mummified, and they had all this stuff placed around them in their tombs because when they rose again and came back to life, in the afterlife, they would have their toys with them. I want to show you a video now. There's a, an interviewer named Larry King. All right, this is a generational thing. If you've heard of Larry King, raise your hand. All right, okay. So Larry King, he's always been infatuated with the spiritual. He, he, he interviews preachers all the time. Okay, and, and here he is interviewing the great Billy, the great late Billy Graham, talking about the issue of death.
Right. So Billy Graham says, you know, he's, he's okay with dying. You know, it might be painful, but he's okay with dying. Why is it that he can say that? Why is it that anybody who is trusting in and following Jesus Christ can say, as we sang, that they have a living hope? And it's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen? We believe that. That's, that's central to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That way he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now as we've looked at 1 Corinthians 15, the first thing we saw is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Paul's arguing against those who would say that there is no resurrection from the dead. He says, well, that's funny. You came to faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he rose from the dead. And a lot of people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, so there is resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on to say, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, think about this. Your faith is useless. It is futile. You're living a lie. But in fact, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So amen. And so if he's risen from the dead and there is a resurrection body, what is that resurrection body like? And we saw that last week. That your resurrection body, when you are raised from the dead, you're not Lazarus coming out from the ground in a corpse that's been given life again. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. You're going to be given a body fit for heaven. That was last week's message. And we'll see more about that body today. But I want you to understand this point, that Jesus Christ conquered death for you through his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. So live with hope, not fear, in the life that will be. Jesus defeated your worst enemy, which is death. And he confirmed that he defeated death by his resurrection from the dead, giving you the hope for what will come. So live with hope, not fear, like the rest of the world. You should be different than the rest of the world because you have hope for the future. Let's look at the text together. We'll read through it and then go through it bit by bit. I declare to you, Paul says, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with 
immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come, to tr- will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of sin is death, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So the first thing that Paul presents to us as we look at this text is a dilemma, right? He presents, he presents us, he presents the people in Corinth that he's writing this letter to with a dilemma, right? He's talked earlier, as I said already, about this fit for heaven body. But the first thing he says with the dilemma is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a dilemma here, okay? Now the hope that's being looked for is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. And the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, translates into the eternal states, okay? And I mentioned as we were going through the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is a big deal. Like, you want to be there. You don't want to be left out of the kingdom. Now, as you consider history, and and Christianity teaches a linear view of history, not a circular view like some Eastern religions, there is a beginning point we're moving in, it's a straight line. We're moving forward to the end of time as we know it and into eternity. And in the future, Jesus has promised a literal kingdom. And we need to look forward to that. You should look forward to it, right? Because what, what are we living in now? Remember, I brought these pictures up before. Our existence now is broken. It's wrong. It's messed up. Something needs to be done. All of humanity knows there is a creator, whether they acknowledge that or not. But something happened, right? If God created and he's good and he's loving, then what happened to the world? And is there anybody who can fix things? And, and when will things be fixed? Well, right now we know this is our existence. This is not good. And so Jesus prepares our hearts for a place that's better, a place called the kingdom. A place, as I mentioned before, where hearts are hearts of love. They've been transformed. Could you imagine a world where everybody has a true heart of love looking out for the best interests of everybody else? Right? It's going to be a kingdom ethically where there's a reorientation of moral standards. Socially, there's going to be real social justice. Politically, Jesus will be the king ruling in righteousness. And then ecclesiastically or worship-wise, nations will come into Jerusalem to worship Jesus as king giving you all those verses there. Jesus is offering this kingdom of beauty, of peace, of prosperity, of wholeness, of wellness. Things are going to be right, righteous. There'll be justice. Things are going to be just the way they should be. And Jesus is king. That's the kingdom in view. And Paul's saying flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. And so we have our interlocutor, this guy, we're going to call him, uh, we'll call him Questioning Quinn. Quinn has questions. He says, well, I'm sold on it, right? Right? You guys are sold on that, aren't you? Is there anybody that's not sold on that? This, this is beyond what you can imagine. And it's okay. It's not unspiritual to look forward to a physical kingdom, okay? Don't get all spiritual and be like, oh, that's, that's, too, that's too fleshly, okay? And Jesus promises this. And, and so Quinn is sold on that. I'm sold on that. I want you to be sold on that. 
But the dilemma is, is that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom. So what do you do? Get rid of your flesh and blood, right? You're saying, Jay, you've said already that we will be resurrected bodily, but Paul's saying flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. We're going to work through that. But Quinn says, so, so I need to be some kind of a spirit or a ghost to enter the kingdom? Like Casper? You know, and this, this imperishable, how do I become imperishable? That word imperishable in the text means not prone to decay. Not prone to decay. And that's where our, our society right now is moving. We're trying not, you know, everybody's trying to get rid of free radicals. Everybody wants to eat your organic, non-GMO, all this stuff, because you don't want your body to decay so fast, right? There's whole, uh, just tons of money spent on how to slow down the aging process. When I was a kid, all we had was Geritol. Now we've got all these billions of dollars spent on not perishing. So how do I become imperishable, right? Because the perishable... Nor does the perishable, that which is decay, will inherit the earth. No, you have to be imperishable. You can't be prone to decay. So, so how do I become imperishable? Well, Paul talks about that. We've seen the dilemma. Flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Paul's going to describe that which is not flesh and blood, that which can enter into the kingdom. He says, yeah, I remember you mentioned that last week. If you were here last Sunday at the first service, you remember me talking about this fit for heaven body. If you look back in the text, when Paul refers to the spiritual body, he's not just talking about a spirit, he's talking about a, a new kind of body, a different kind of body, a body fit for heaven, right? A body that's patterned after the resurrected Messiah. In the Bible, we're given accounts of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior on the earth, and, and what he was like. And he had a body at that time fit for heaven. He was recognizable as Jesus. That's good, right? I'll have to wonder when I get to heaven, is that Denny or not? Unless he shaves his beard, right? Is that Denny or not? I'll, I'll know it's Denny because I know what Denny looks like. Jesus communicated with language. It's not going to be like telepathic like the dolphins or whatever. It, Jesus was huggable. Praise God. We, we hug. Jesus ate. Two thumbs up, right? Ham, cheesy potatoes, that kind of stuff. Oops, back up. Jesus could move through walls. That was kind of weird, right, when he appears to the, the disciples. So there's some kind of molecular reorganization that we might have to give consideration to. Not flesh and blood, but not a ghost, okay? Jesus could ascend into the air. He was fit for heaven. Incredible. But let's look at the text today because the text gives us some more information. Now, he begins the description by saying, listen, I tell you a mystery, Ooh, it's mysterious. You ever have conversations with people about spiritual things, the Bible, and they're like, hey, you don't really know. People don't. Did you really know? I mean, does anybody really know? You ever been in that conversation? Nobody really knows. Well, I'll find out one day, right? You've had that conversation before. But Jesus says, or Paul says, I tell you a mystery. The concept of mystery, mysterion, it's not mystery as in like who done it or something we'll never find out. It's something very nebulous. No, it's something previously hidden but has now been disclosed and revealed. Paul should know, the guy who wrote this book, he ascended into paradise. If anybody had an out-of-body experience and knows what happens to people in the afterlife, it's Paul. But he was told not to talk about it. But he gives us a little of the DL here, and he says, I, sh I tell you a mystery. The first thing I want you to know is that everybody receives a fit for heaven body. He says, we'll all be changed. We all get that. Now, 
believers, unbelievers, all. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's saying we all in those who have already died and those who are still alive. Dead or alive, you will get a new body, a transformed body. Aren't you so glad? If you're like me, you're glad. So everybody receives a fit for heaven body. Secondly, your fit for heaven body will be radically transformed at the atomic level. Now, how do I know this? Because the word flash is the word that we get Adam from. Now, when the Greek writers were writing the word, and again, this is an English translation of the word flash. There's not always a one-for-one translation with things. And so, but it's the word that we get Adam from. You're going to be atomized. And the word Adam, in that sense, is, it, is, it is the most, you're going to be changed down to the most indivisible part, right? When we think of atoms, and yes, you know, atoms can be split, and not a good thing when they are split. Okay, but, but to, it, it, the most basic thing we have, the elements, right? They're atoms. And down to your atomic structure, you're going to be changed, transformed, a new you. So at the atomic level, you're going to be totally different, right? To, to walk through walls is into the air. Your fit for heaven body will be radically transformed instantaneously, that word twinkling, it's referring to the eye. It says in the twinkling of an eye. And your eye, the muscles in your eye move faster than any muscle in your body. You blink really fast. It's like, like that. It's not going to be a process. It's going to be one millisecond of this, the next millisecond of that. It's, that's how quickly you're going to change. And then the next thing we see is that your fit for heaven body will coincide with the return to Christ. Right? There's going to be this trumpet, this last trumpet. Now, we don't want to understand this as... The last in a series of trumpets, this is just a trumpet sound. One of the trumpets. When we're transformed, the trumpet's going to sound. Now, Paul writes about this in other places, right? This isn't the only spot he writes about this. Paul, as an author, is very consistent in his writings. And so, in a letter to another church, a church called Thessalonica, he says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Amen? And... So, in light of that, the fact that he rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. In him means you belong to Jesus, you're a child of God, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Asleep is a euphemism for death, okay? There is no soul sleep. He continues, he says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. And you know what Paul says after that? He says, I want you to encourage one of those words. You need to have hope. All right, the next thing we see, I think this is the last thing I have here about the fit for heaven body, is that it will be immortal. Immortal means like forever. And imperishable means it will not be prone to decay. I look forward to not being prone to decay. Like, I want a full head of hair again. I look forward to that. Signing up for that. And so in this text here, though, he says, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must, be, must clothe itself with the imperishable. I'm just going to give you a scripture for this now for the sake of time. You can look it up. But for 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4, he talks about this heavenly dwelling. And he's not talking about a house here. He's talking about your body. 
your body. So this fit for heaven body, let's review this. Pattern after our resurrected Savior, it's for everyone, dead or alive, transformed radically, instantaneously. When Jesus returns, immortal and imperishable. Sign me up. Sign me up for the kingdom. Sign me up for this body. Oh, what a glorious day it'll be, right? Are you with me? Linda is. Thank you. Linda and I will go on there together, I guess. You guys have left out. <laughs> and Linda's going to go in, friends, without a wheelchair. That's right. All right, so Quinn, questioning Quinn says this, I hear you, but as long as things have been around, death has been inescapable. How do we escape death? And that's what's next in the text. He talks about death's destruction, the destruction of death. So, so death is personified. Death is given a life. Death takes on personality. It's somebody to be killed. It is a force that needs to be destroyed. Now, as we celebrate this weekend, as we celebrate um, Easter Sunday, don't call it Easter much anymore, but Resurrection Sunday, right? On Resurrection Sunday, we believe that Jesus Christ defeated death. It was the death of death. I thought that was on Friday. Right, well, if he just stayed in the ground, death would have won, right? So we know that death was defeated when? On Sunday, right? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. So we see the defeat of death. Now he talks about how bad death is first in verse 56. This passage, this part, this little verse is always kind of like, ah, what does he really mean here? But he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Now, there's two ways to look at this word, is the whole concept of sting. It could be a spear, like a goad, okay? Or it could be like the stinger on a scorpion. I thought the scorpion was more interesting, so I threw the scorpion in, okay? All right, so death is the scorpion, all right? The stinger, you can't see that. That's a bad job for me in my IT. There's the word sin up there around, can you guys see that? Not really. Okay. But anyway, so the stinger is sin, and the poison in the stinger is the law. So death is a scorpion, the stinger is sin, and the law is the poison. So how does death do its dismal job? By stinging people. What's the poison? The poison is the law. Now, now the law is not bad. Right? God gave the law. The law is good. The law re- reflects the character of God. God is perfect and holy. The problem is, is God introduced the law into a sin-cursed world. Right? And, and our sin distorted God's law. Sin distorted God's law. So death, as I write here, is the result of sin, which is effective through the law. Right? The law was never meant to save, only to restrain and reveal. Most people, they look at the law and they go, like, okay, if I just do these things, if I just do the Ten Commandments, then I'll be good. God will let me into the kingdom. You'll never make it. You're a failure. You won't do it. It was never meant to, to save. It was only meant to restrain evil behavior and reveal the character of God and reveal how much you need Jesus Christ. Now, let's continue this. The law was never meant to save, but only to restrain and reveal. The law, it causes death. Here's how it causes death. It entices us to sin. See, the wages of sin is death. And because we're sinners, you know, you, know, you see a law that says, don't do this, don't do that. You're like, what would it be like to do that? Are you with me on that one? Like, hmm. All right, so the law, because of our sin, it entices us to sin. 
And, and the law, when we do what we shouldn't do, it says, you're guilty, you're wrong, you shouldn't have done that. You have sinned. And the law not only declares us guilty, but the law pronounces the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. If you transgress the law, the penalty is the death penalty according to God's word. And so Paul says, you know, death, death gets its power from the sting of sin. The law is, is what's causing the death. Don't try to live out the law and, and make things right. No, the law causes the death. And so Quinn says, that's horrible. How does anybody overcome that? That sounds horrific. Well, now Angie Answer comes in. Remember her from last week? I wanted to call her Nancy Know-It-All, but that wouldn't be right. She comes back, right? These two people are having this conversation. You're right. You're right. Nobody can overcome death. None of us can, but Jesus Christ overcame death for us, right? In the text, he doesn't just stop at verse 56. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he gives us the victory. I went into another version there. So as we consider Friday and Sunday, and we consider the death of death, that's what we're looking at, the death of death. On Good Friday, Jesus delivered us from the penalty of death by taking upon himself our death penalty for the sins, that shouldn't be apostrophe, for the sins we've committed and will commit. On Good Friday, right, Jesus died the death that we deserved. He took our death penalty upon himself. That's why Good Friday is so good. I was, at Friday, I was, this past Friday at work, I was just asking people just to find out what people knew. Hey, do you know why we call Good Friday Good Friday? It was a great way to share the gospel. I had one person, I have like 12 people that knew why we call Good Friday Good Friday. If you are carrying a debt of sin and that debt of sin only leads to death and somebody said, I'll take that for you. I don't want you to die. I'll take that for you. Would that be a good day? It would be a good day, and that's what happened on Good Friday. Jesus took your sins on the cross, and then he died the death that you deserve, and he was in the ground for three days, but on the third day he rose from the dead. And that's what we celebrate today, Resurrection Sunday. On Resurrection Sunday, Jesus defeated death's power in our lives by overcoming death through his resurrection from the dead. That's what we celebrate on Easter. He defeated death. Well, Quinn says, wait a minute, if Jesus defeated death's power, then why do people still die? Would you guys say that's a logical question? I would say that's a logical question. Well, people die because they continue to sin. The wages of sin is death. They're dead spiritually, separated from God because of their sin, and we're perishable. We're dying physically, okay, because of sin. Spiritually, that's the truth. The reason we die is because of sin. Sin entered into the world through one man, sin and death, okay, Adam. That is why we die. Okay, you say, no, I know what it is. It's all those free radicals, you know, bodies. Just, just, they just got to unlock the genet, genetic code, and once they unlock that genetic code, we're going to be good. We'll be... No, sin is more powerful than that. We die because of sin. You can say it on a basic level, right? I mean, people commit sins, and because of that, their body just breaks down. But because of sin, we are dying and we will continue to die. But Angie answers, she's right on. She says, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, we may be dying outwardly, 
but we're being transformed inwardly. This outer shell may be perishing, but internally we're being transformed from glory to glory, waiting for that moment when Jesus comes and he will radically and instantaneously transform us into a fit for heaven body. Death is just a passageway into God's kingdom with a radically and completely transformed resurrection body. Well, she's spot on. When Jesus returns, we will celebrate the destruction of death. And that's the celebration of praise in the passage. I kind of took a couple verses out of order there. But there's a celebration. I mean, just think about it. On that day, on that day when Jesus returns and we receive our glorified bodies, it's going to be like, yes, death, you're dead, no more. You're not gonna, I'm not going to live in that fear anymore. I am set free from that fear. So he breaks into a praise. He says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? He's quoting from Hosea, the prophet Hosea. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Paul is celebrating the ultimate destruction of death. When Jesus returns, defeated death will be completely destroyed. Right? Death was defeated on Calvary. Jesus defeated death on Calvary Easter, rose from the dead. All right, death will be destroyed completely when Jesus Christ returns. We see this in Revelation. Revelation 20 is an interesting passage. It talks about the end of all things, right? We believe in a linear linear progression of history, not this circular, you keep coming back thing. And in the end, after Jesus rules for a thousand years in the kingdom and everybody is judged, he says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's what people refer to as hell. The lake of fire was the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Death will be destroyed one day. I guess, guess who, you know what? Satan isn't the king of hell. You know that? Satan gets thrown into hell. Hell was created for him and for those who followed him. So we've seen the dilemma Right? We've seen the description, we've seen the death of death, the destruction of death, and now we're going to see the determination as we finish this passage. And this is for those of you who know Christ, and brothers and sisters here at Grace, I want you to determine to endure for Jesus in obedient faith with full confidence in your future. It is not easy to live the Christian life. A lot of people, they look at us and they go, you just pray some prayer and you get your ticket and you're in heaven and you can do whatever you want. No. Jesus says, if any man woman, child wants to follow me, take up your cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The hardest decision I ever made was to follow Jesus Christ. The prayer was easy. I got down on my knees and I cried out, I'm a sinner, I need you, Jesus, save me. But then the journey begins. And we're called to endure. We see death all around us. We see things in the world that don't make sense. We're told to do this and that, and it doesn't turn out the way we want it to do. We give up, but we're told to have hope. 
Jesus is coming. He's going to return. You're going to be transformed radically, instantaneously. He's going to destroy death. You have hope. You're not like the rest of the world. Keep pressing on. Keep persevering. Keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep laboring. I won't forget. Paul says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully, overflowing. You may think think you've given everything you can. Maybe you have, but give more because I'm going to enable you to do it. To the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And for those of you who serve steadily in the church and you work hard getting the gospel out in the community, don't give up. Keep pressing on. And when you feel like giving up, remember what we already learned in 1 Corinthians, that what God requires from you is that you be faithful. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. What's the appointed time? The appointed time is when Jesus Christ comes. And sometimes we want to judge the success of our efforts. We want to judge the success of what God's doing based on what's around us. And Jesus, and Paul says, and Jesus says, no, when I come back, I will reveal everything the way it has been done and what it was done for and who it was done for. And I will give you the praise that's due. But you got to wait. Hold on. At that time, everybody will receive their praise from God. So Paul says, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. As we close, I have just a couple points to ponder. One, and I didn't bring this up earlier, and I did in a sense. I said, we will all be transformed, right? And I said, believers, dead and alive, but I didn't mention everybody else, right? The fact of the matter is that every person on the face of the earth will be resurrected. Daniel, the prophet, says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will wake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and contempt. And and so, the question is, is, okay, what's going to happen when you're resurrected? Right? Revelation 20 talks about that. Those who have died, the books will be opened up, and judgment will be based on your deeds. All right. and, and if you're trusting in your own deeds, your own works, then the scriptures say you'll be cast into the lake of fire. If you're trusting in the work and in the deeds of Jesus Christ, then God will say, welcome into my kingdom. Welcome into my presence. Now, this guy here, this Quinn, this guy Quinn, let me back up a little bit. I think I left a couple slides off. Let me see. Okay, you yeah, know, I didn't. Okay. So, this Quinn, this is my second point to ponder. Um, Quinn says, all right, I'm sold on to it. I'm sold on what you've said. How is it that one gets into the kingdom, right? That was in the questions too, right? How does somebody get into the kingdom? And I said, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom. But I didn't say how you get into the kingdom, Right? How do I become imperishable is the question that he had. I want to answer that two ways. The apostle, not the apostle, John wrote a book, and that's called a gospel. In the gospel, he has this account of Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you that no one can see, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again, right? Your flesh and your blood, can't enter to the kingdom. If you're not born again, you're not going into the kingdom. 
Remember I said, there's a process that starts. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you come to faith. All right, you're headed for the kingdom. Your outward may be perishing, but your inward's being transformed from glory to glory. And when Christ returns, you will receive that glorified body. But it begins with being born again. You have to be born again. To be born again means that you're saying no to self ever. I can't work my way into the king and saying yes to the work of Jesus Christ, that Christ did all the work for me, and he died on the cross to take the penalty for my sins, and he rose again on the third day. And by faith, believing in that, you are born again. Well, then the question comes up again. I hear you, but as long as things have been around, death has been inescapable. How do we escape death? And in John's gospel as well, Jesus says this very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my words and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. They will not be judged, but what? They've crossed over from death to life. My desire for everyone here is that you would believe in Jesus and that you would cross over from death to life. There's not some fancy ritual that you have to go through. There's not five pillars There's not some book that you have to read and do special things. You just recognize that you have sinned against God and that you need God, that you need salvation, that you need Jesus. You just cry out to him. God, God hears the cry of that heart. And as you do that, trusting in Jesus alone, then he will transform you on the inside. And one day you'll receive that glorified body and you will enter into the kingdom. Because Jesus conquered death. Okay, Jesus conquered death. I have my slides there. Jesus conquered death for you through his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. So live with hope, not fear, in the life that will be. Amen? That's why we celebrate Easter. So we're going to stand and sing together. Um, before we do that, I'm going to pray. And, you know, if, if you've listened to what I said this morning and it makes sense and you know that you need to be transformed um, on the inside, then cry out to God. Um, I trusted Christ in a dirty old dorm room. Got down on my knees and cried out. We don't have an altar call. We don't have an altar. You can trust Christ anywhere. If you're singing, and what I've said made sense to you, and God's Spirit's working in your heart, then just cry out to Jesus. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Easter Sunday. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. We thank you that Jesus Christ, that he died sacrificially to take the death that I deserve, and he rose victoriously to give me, give us the hope of eternal life. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that today that we would celebrate the resurrection in a special way. Lord, if there's anybody here who knows they're separated from you, that they haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ, Father, please... Work in them to that end. May your spirit conquer their hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.